Good morning. It is by God's grace that we are brought together. It is by God's grace that we will continue to find ways to come together and to encourage and love one another in new, unique ways. Please join me as we pray. Ever-present and all-encompassing God, on the journeys you have set before us, as we pursue our callings through all our life with you, we know we will be held. We have seen and continue to see how you have been faithful for all time and have never left us. How good and pleasant it is that God's community of people is able to live together and grow together, united, under the guiding hand of the maker of heaven and earth, who does not rest and does not slumber. Ceaseless love and protection is all around. These last two weeks of our children and youth attending Passport, we have learned all the ways you have called us to turn the world upside down and think and see the world in the inclusive upside down way that you do. We have learned that your spirit strengthens this community on this lifelong journey, and it is only by your steadfast hand that we will have the love to break down all barriers, overturn things that shut people out, gather all people of all neighborhoods at the longest table, as Pastor Jessalyn showed us, where all are welcome. On this journey, this road to justice, we lift our eyes to the hills. When we face pushback and hurtful language that hinders our ability and others' ability to sit at our table, we lift our eyes to the hills and gather strength to encourage and build up one another. When we found ourselves stranded on our journey home, hindered temporarily from enacting all that we have learned, we lifted our eyes to the hills and learned how to enact it better among each other. It is by the unexpected opportunities you have set before us that we continually face fresh encounters with your grace among all that life throws and grow with each other to shape and grant formation to our upside down thinking. Thank you, Lord, for keeping us, not abandoning us when all seems unsure, for keeping your church and not dissolving it, for bringing your children back home to you safely and for continually teaching us how to love. Keep all of our journeys and better form our upside down thinking to appear more and more like yours. May we continue to sing of God's goodness long after camp and embody it in all that we do. Amen. Every breath. 
worship with you today. I invite you to open your Bibles to Psalm 121 as we continue our journey through the experiences of life through the lenses the Psalms provide us in this ancient hymn book of Israel that speaks ever fresh words into our lives. Let us hear today a song for the road. Psalm 121, a song of ascent. 
I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, the one who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. May God bless the reading and the hearing of the word today. Danny, this is going to be the best sermon they've ever heard, uh, because I don't have to preach it. The youth preached it on Friday, actually. Uh, Some of you may have become aware, and it really wouldn't be a youth trip without an event like this happening, um, on the caravan back home with the bus and the church van and a trailer full of luggage, there was a mishap, a blown tire on the van and some sort of damage that's leading to an oil leak, a pretty significant oil leak underneath the van, road debris, we're not sure, uh, but it is now uh, in Gastonia, and so we're, you know, thinking in some ways maybe it's best to find a good, reputable, high-character mechanic down in Gastonia to kind of work it up before we try and tow it home and figure out what to do, so I'm looking at you, Swaffords, if you know anybody in Kings Mountain, uh, that's exactly where it is, at the Battleground BP. And thankful for the Good Samaritan who helped get the trailer off the road and into a safe place. Thankful uh, for a benevolent manager at the Battleground BP who let our kids for hours just sort of mill about the parking lot and inside, outside, use the bathrooms, do whatever they needed to do. When I first heard about the mishap, um, Danny and I were corresponding right away. And I do want to say Danny and Mackenzie and John DeWitt are to be commended Uh, for their competence, for uh, their decisiveness, and for their commitment to safety for the kids, getting them where they needed to be, and then tending to the mechanical things that always come second to the lives that are in our care. They they really did a great job. Uh, Sure, yeah, go ahead, let them know. Uh, When I first heard about the the mishap, I... um, I was talking to Janelle, and I said, you know, Danny thinks that they'll be able to get this problem solved, but just in case, I think I'd like to start meandering west. And um, as it turns out, uh, as I just kept meandering west, meandering west, and and we continued to communicate, uh, I was about an hour away, and Danny said, "Um, yeah, we're not going to be able to drive this van. So in my van, we were able to kind of cobble together a solution to get them home. And, uh, And I put myself as empathetically as I could in their shoes, remembering a time when I was stranded on the side of the road in the far, far reaches of northern I-85, just before the Virginia border, where there's really very little, and Nathaniel probably remembers this day, when in an abandoned BP, we pulled out those stadium chairs and just sat under there waiting for AAA for hours on a 100-degree day. They weren't far from that yesterday, or Friday. And the youth um, wilted. 
I, I could only imagine they wilted under the relentless heat of the sun. They're stranded. They have nowhere to go. They have no clear answers about what to do. So imagine my surprise as I pull into the battleground BP to see a line of youth dancing <laughs> outside the van, videoing themselves, talking, moving about, and having something of a party, for lack of a better word. Uh, there was an assurance and a calm and a spirit, perhaps a bit of residue from camp, but even more, the sort of comfort they found together in this experience as they make their way. They, they preached a sermon for me. Dancing in the hot sun, stranded far from home, knowing that there's still a long way to go, but knowing somehow, some way, they will make it all the way home. End of sermon. The rest is commentary. So in Psalm 121, we read in that superscription that I've talked about, this is a psalm of ascents, and it is the inaugural psalm of a series of songs that were sung while the people went on pilgrimage, when they would leave their various locations all around Israel and make their way to Jerusalem. And there at the temple, they would experience and worship in the very presence of God, in the place they believed and looked to as the residence of God here on earth. And it was not an easy trip. There were no air-conditioned vehicles. There were no smooth ribbons of highways. These are people who, with perhaps be suburban, usually on foot, would have to carry whatever they would bring with them for that long, arduous journey through deserts, over hills and mountains, looking for water, looking for safe places on the road to rest and avoid any sort of tribulation that may come, uh, perhaps robbers, perhaps natural hardships. These were hard journeys. Uh, but as they made their way across the entirety of the promised land, there to God's home. They were focused on that destination. They were journeying toward the very presence of God. And I wonder how often we think about our lives that way. We get so consumed in the sort of the daily minutia of what has to be done and where it is we might have left our car keys that we neglect to keep some sense of vision of the trajectory of our lives. That wherever we are, if we have heard the call of God in Jesus Christ, we are making our own pilgrimage home. And we know we walk by faith, not sight. And that journey that we make into God's presence is not short, it is not easy, it is not safe. And so in many ways, we can join Israel today in Psalm 121 on pilgrimage, and we can hear their songs in the same way we might sing them. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? Now, from one perspective, the Israelites, these pilgrims, are literally looking up the hills. Perhaps they're close enough they can already see that steep ascent up to Mount Zion. And on top of that mountain is perched the temple of God, the Holy of Holies. And they can see the destination to which they have pointed their lives and their families' lives. 
Other commentators have suggested that this is a song no matter where they went. As they looked up the hills, they could see what the Bible calls high places, the pagan altars of worship that offer competition for the worship of the one true God. If you're on a pilgrimage just to get something out of God, like, say, a good fertile harvest next year, then maybe you would succumb to the temptation just to divert to the nearest high place, offer a sacrifice to that pagan God, and hope you get your fertile harvest. But there's more at work. Perhaps it is the competition of the religious observance of the world. Perhaps it is a crystal clear vision of the house of God and the presence of God. But I look up to the hills and ask where my help comes from, and the implication of the psalm is keep looking up higher. It's not in that building. It's not even at the very top of the tallest mountain. Keep looking until you can in some way conceive of the maker of it all, of heaven and of earth, the God who brings the earth into being, sustains it by the very presence of God. Look there, that's where your help comes from. And it's spoken with the assurance of childlike trust. Last week I talked a little bit about the simplicity that sometimes grinds against our hard experience. I remember one time talking to my youth minister. I was an adult and was struggling kind of in that quicksand of despair. There were a lot of life circumstances and church circumstances that were bringing me down, and I didn't know what to do. So when I don't know what to do as an adult, I call my youth minister, sometimes 25 years later, right? And I called Patty, and, and we talked for a long time, and I poured my heart out, and I poured just everything out, and she listened very carefully and very attentively on the phone. And then after a long pause, with all sincerity and all earnestness, she said, trust God. And I was disappointed at first. I said, you know, I'm a grown-up. You can talk to me like a grown-up. Give me, give me something to, to, to build on, to work on here. She said, there's, there's nothing more I can say. In the midst of these hard circumstances, the handhold you will find is looking back to God and trusting God at work in you and in this trust god and so depending on where you are in life a psalm like this that has such surety to it such assurance to it may not resonate as deeply if you're in that difficult stuck no good despairing quicksand kind of place but in your disorientation Listen for the reorienting word that comes. My help comes. There is an assurance there that can't be set down. What kind of help will come to us? It's a refrain that's found throughout this entire psalm of the journey. The Lord watches over you. That's sort of the big banner. The Lord watches over you and in your bibles the lord is in that sort of strange all capitals but they're a little smaller than the rest of the text that means they're translating the personal name of god the name that was given to moses in the wilderness that authorized him to call the people out of their slavery it is that god the one who drew them out of israel and the one we know drew jesus out of his tomb this is the lord 
who watches over you as you travel in this life for your face-to-face meeting with your maker, your redeemer. You can count on that. The Lord is watching over you. Ted and I were laughing before, um, before worship today because he said when he did youth trips uh, and youth choir tours particularly, a lot of the venues where they would play would like to have maybe half sacred music and, and half more secular pieces. But So he tried to find secular pieces that would mention God. So they, they'd sing, you know, Bette Midler, for instance. Um, you know, God is watching us, God is watching you, and you can probably hear her saying that, but you remember the title of that? From a distance. God is watching us from a distance. Open your, Bible, uh, your hymnals to number 93. Number 93. Rather than seeing God at a distance watching over us, perhaps this hymn recalibrates our spiritual sensibilities. And because this is the best sermon ever, I'm not going to sing it. Uh, Ted is going to lead us in getting our opening pitch. Let's sing the first verse together. I feel Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven and home? When Jesus is my portion, my constant friend is he. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Thank you, and thank you. What does it mean for the Lord to watch me? What does that amount to? Is God a dispassionate, objective observer of our lives? Perhaps examining us quite closely but doing nothing? Does God watch and then intervene? And if that's the case, then how do we account for those times when God does not seem to intervene in our lives? Was God not watching at those times? Well, this song for the journey and for our lives spells out in very childlike ways the three kind of results, the three facets of God's watching over us. In verse 3, it says, The Lord will not let your foot slip as you journey toward God. Of course, not talking about physically slipping. Any child or anyone who's raised a child or anyone who was a child knows that God does not keep us from physically slipping. I have scars up and down my legs and on my elbows that are ample evidence that God let my foot slip. Many of us have done that. The psalm, of course, cannot mean that we will physically keep from stumbling. And I don't think it's pointing ultimately to a moral stumble, though it may be included in that. 
Because we've all done that on our journey too. Maybe deep down, you wish that God would have had a firmer grip on your shoulders and kept you on a straight and moral path, recognizing the boundaries that God has set for your safekeeping. And God in love has granted you a great deal of latitude to make choices on this side of the boundary and that side of the boundary. And you experience the consequences of those. Now, I think this phrase about stumbling and stepping points towards something of the spiritual road we're on. In the Old Testament, particularly in the Psalms, when we talk about stumbling and slipping, it seems to point to something about the very path to God. So that in Psalm 73, for instance, the psalmist took the psalmist's eyes off the Lord and began to envy the prosperity of the wicked. Danny, in some ways, maybe that's connected uh, to what you were talking about in the children's sermon. It's such a spiritual temptation to look at what we don't have and, and kind of simply want or envy what other people already do have. But then the psalmist catches himself or, or herself. My foot almost slipped in envy. I nearly lost my foothold. But Psalm 121 is a promise that no matter what happens to us, the Lord is not going to let us slip from that path to God. That God's goal for you, God's goal for me, is to complete the journey all the way into God's presence. Think about the Apostle Paul. He held this in singular focus as he wrote to the Philippians. He wrote it this way, forgetting what lies behind, straining toward what lies ahead, I press on to the goal that I set for myself. No, to the goal for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. The road we're on is of God's making. And God will keep us on that road. And so verses 5 and 6 continue. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. This is good news, youth. I told them, I said, you know, go home, take a bath, sleep it off, and tomorrow you'll be able to laugh about this. But as they withered and, 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 and perspired in the, in the heat of the day, um, this didn't quite compute. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. This is, of course, poetry. Neither the heat of the sun, the cold of night, the dangers of the day, the madness of moonlight, cancer, or a stroke, or depression, or anxiety. None of these things will keep you from finishing the journey into the presence of God. Those things may come into your life, just like the sun and the moon do, almost with eerie regularity. They may press you, and they may discourage you. They may frighten you. The Lord will shade you. The Lord will protect you. The Lord will watch over you in such a way that the dangers that fill this world day and night will not keep you from your destination. Eugene Peterson, it's hard to believe, it's been almost five years since he died. And, and he's been an influence on me, as I know in some facet, his ministry has been an influence on you, whether it's his message, translation, or for me, some of the books and articles that he's written about pastoral leadership and pastoral care. But as he lay dying in his home, his family released a statement that I think captures so much of this sense of protection. 
As he lay dying, the family released this statement. During the previous days, it was apparent that he was navigating the thin and sacred space between earth and heaven. We overheard him speaking to people we can only presume were welcoming him into paradise. There may have been a time or two when he accessed his Pentecostal roots and spoke in tongues as well. Among his final words were, let's go, and his joy. Oh my, the man remained joyful right up to his blessed end, smiling frequently. In such moments, it's best for all mortal flesh to keep silence, but if you have to say something, say this, holy, holy, holy. The sun will not harm you by night, or by day, or the moon by night. And on a related note in verse 7, it says, The Lord will keep you from all harm. The Lord will watch over your life. And it's almost hard to say those words. They get stuck in my throat because we've all experienced harm, real harm in this life, real scars metaphorical scars about the many wounds that we have experienced but as we dig below the surface of the english translation of the hebrew we hear in the hebrew text something more is going on that word harm doesn't first mean injuries or hurtful things or pain it's a more primal connotation it means evil and the word that's translated life doesn't mean sort of the the inhalation, exhalation of oxygen in our lungs. It's the word that's used to describe the essence of you, the fullness of you, your soul, your life, the beloved part of you that God imagined into being and holds close. And so if we were to translate this in another way, it might say something, the essential you will be protected from evil. How did Jesus pray it? Deliver us from evil or from the evil one or or the apostle paul when he was writing letters of similar assurance to the romans said i'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons neither present nor the future nor any powers neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of god that is in jesus christ our lord as we make our way in this world as we walk that road all the way home to the presence of god god will not let evil destroy us the journey is long it is hard it is painful but god will keep that evil from eating you up and destroying your belovedness it's a powerful affirmation and so i wonder if in talking about the psalm this way it becomes something you can sing too as you make your way through life. In your Bible, perhaps, there's a superscription that says a song of ascents. What would you put as a way to summarize this song? God's promises for the journey? God's protection for my life and ours? I'm not sure how you would summarize it, but you may want to note it there in your Bible. Two illustrations as we conclude. Uh, the first comes from William Sapphire, in an article that he wrote for New York Times Magazine a number of years ago, uh, and it's called Overwatch. And the title of this article came from uh, a speech that then-President Bush had um, given talking about the troops in Iraq 
And he said, our troops will shift from leading operations to partnering with Iraqi forces and eventually overwatching those forces. And Sapphire had never heard that word overwatch used as a verb. And kind of being very left of center, he saw this as an opportunity either to kind of expose some right-wing jargon or to make fun of, of Bush for kind of one of his Bushian you know, missteps with speech. But as he did research, he realized that this is a venerable and long-standing word in military use. To overwatch means that there is a tactical movement on the battlefield where a group of soldiers or uh, a group of support troops are going to be positioned overlooking a battle group in order to respond, if needed, with immediate fire. So if you have a group somewhere engaged in direct battle with the enemy, Overwatch is that group that's on the battlefield somewhere up in the hills who, at a moment's notice, can pour down fire and come running to support them. So you think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, for instance, when, when Judas leads that armed mob to arrest him, and Peter, in reaction, uh, gets fidgety with his sword, and, and he cuts off the ear of the high priest's servant, and Jesus you know, stops all of this from it. He heals the ear, and he tells Peter to put his sword away, and then he says, don't you know that I've called, I could have called 12 legions of angels? And what we know about Roman formations is that could be up to 72,000 angels. <laughs> That's a lot of angels. Invisible to the overwhelmed disciples in that moment of crisis, facing a sword-wielding mob, but overwatching them from a strategic position, more than enough to overcome all that might hinder what God intended to do in that moment. God is overwatching Jesus with crystal clarity. Can you imagine God's watch? And it is not idle. It is not disengaged. God intended to accomplish God's purposes. Peter did not need to take matters into his own hands, nor did he need to throw away his life and waste it. Sometimes God watches over us and God gets directly involved. Sometimes God fights our battles for us. Some of you have stories, and I've heard you tell them, of God doing just that. Sometimes when God watches over us, God partners with us. And so we contend with our challenges along with God. And then there are times when God overwatches us. So that even when we believe or feel like we're fighting all alone, we, we're tempted to give in to the despair and the loneliness, we hear this assurance, God watches over us, surveying the whole terrain of our lives and is ready to provide the effective help how and when we need it most. One of my good friends, when he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and knew that it was going to take his life, asked to do the children's sermon at church. Didn't know what he was going to say, but of course everybody had watched him struggle kind of publicly for a while. As he sat down with the children, he explained to them that he was so sick that the, the, the medical treatments were no longer going to help him try to get better. 
And he told him these words that I'll never forget. He, he looked at the children, and having walked so closely with him, I know how hard won this statement was. He said, I don't know where this disease is going to take me, but I know wherever I am, I will be okay. Now, he, of course, simplified it. We could nuance it with all the rigors of spiritual. No. What we need to hear is the childlike assurance again. Whatever happens, I'll be okay. The Lord will watch your coming and going, both now and forevermore. As we continue our lives' journeys, our church's journey into the presence of God, there is nothing in all creation that can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. Why should I be discouraged? I know God watches me. Amen.